want you to think for just a minute about what Easter was like for you when you were a kid, uh, whether you, you were a religious family or you went to church or, or not. What was, just think about what Easter was like. For some of you, it wasn't that long ago, right? You, you're pretty close to the rearview mirror. You're pretty close to uh, what uh, Easter as a child was like. For others of us, it's a little more distant past. Uh, we don't always like to admit that it's distant past if you're in that demographic. Uh, I saw someone uh, the other day ask the question, when will I stop thinking that the 80s were about 20 years ago? <laughs> and, I, and some of you are going, wasn't it 20 years ago? No, it wasn't. It was a lot longer than that. But that's the way time is. The, the more you're in it, the more it seems like it wasn't that long ago. It was just a few years ago. Like rearview mirrors say, objects in the mirror are closer than they uh, they appear. T time has a way of doing that. It has a way of making the past feel like it's really close when maybe it wasn't all that close. But still, you could probably remember uh, what Easter was like as a kid. I always get the reality check when it comes to time and, and how much time has passed. The reality check for me is whenever I'm filling out an online form and it asks for a year of your birth and it has that little roller thing. It's like I'm auditioning for the Wheel of Fortune and trying to win the big, the big prize at the end. Uh, whether it was a long time ago, short time ago, whatever it was, we probably had similar experiences. Well, if you're my age, you actually dyed eggs uh, when you were a kid. The little tablets and the vinegar, I don't think they do that much anymore. I mean, it's 2022. Kids probably have 3D printers that produce all their eggs today or something. Back in the good old days, like we, had to, we had to put in the work. We had to show up. We had, we had to color those things. But uh, you, we had egg hunts and, and baskets and, and candy and uh, family lunches. It was the beginning of spring, you know, so big outdoor get-together with all of our family, and, and it's probably similar in some ways today, like Easter was just a lot of fun when you were a kid, and you, you got prizes, and you got candy, and, and it was awesome. Um, now that we're adults, um, Easter's a little bit different. Uh, ho hopefully, it's, hopefully it's special. If you're a follower of Christ, hopefully it's unique, something you look forward to, uh, but you realize the more time passes in the rearview mirror, the more you, you realize that the world doesn't really stop for holidays like they used to. Uh, the world, life doesn't pause. All of the stuff of life is, is still here. The past couple of Easter's especially, it seems like there's just been craziness every time we roll around to Easter. Going back to, to 2020 and, and then last year. And, 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 and we get to Easter 2022 and, and there's a war going on on the other side of the world. And we're seeing images uh, that are heartbreaking. The loss of life. We're, we're seeing evil on this pretty grand scale. And in that situation, we, we come to Easter with a lot of what-if questions like, what would happen if? Where will this end? How, how does this all end? That's not going to stop because of Easter. Uh, the less important than life or life and death, uh, there's just a lot of economic questions out there right now. Right? Inflation and 
the cost of things and supply chain issues and employment issues, all of that's swirling and, and it's going to still be there after Easter. Added to kind of those universal issues, we could probably name some more, but added to those universal issues are all of the individual uh, issues of anxiety and worry that are in each of our individual hearts, like the things that you bring to the table today, the broken relationships that are on your mind, or uh, the diagnosis that are on your mind, or the child that you're worried about, all of those things that, that you're thinking about, job security that individually that you're thinking about, we, we bring our own individual weight to this Easter season, and, and we know now that we're adults, we know they don't just disappear for Easter. Easter is not this kind of escape for us. We will we'll put away the eggs after Easter. We'll put away the baskets. They'll go back in the basement or the, the closet. The new clothes that we bought, we'll, we'll hang those in the closet with all the old clothes. Um, we will have eaten all the Easter candy, although I must admit that Last week, I found some Easter candy from last year, and I ate it, and I'm not ashamed at all of that move. I would do it again. Most of us, we're going to consume all that candy pretty quickly, especially if we have kids in the house. Uh, that's all, that's all going to be gone, and life is still going to be here. Like stores are already beginning the transition from Easter to Mother's Day to summer and like two weeks from now it'll be Christmas stuff in the stores because that's how they roll it's just this constant movement this constant cycle and, and Easter is here and Easter is upon us and we're celebrating Easter but then we also know life's not stopping the world's not stopping the things that are on our mind right now they aren't going away because of Easter but that's I think really the message of Easter is that Easter is not to take us away. Easter is to remind us that it matters to the everyday. The goal of Easter is not to distract us from reality with, with eggs and baskets and candy. The, the goal of Easter all along was to step into our reality, to step into darkness and to step into brokenness and to step into our worries and our anxieties. The goal of Easter is not to distract us from reality. It's to invade our reality, to step into our reality that Jesus came to be present with us. God in the flesh to be with us, to walk with us, to go through the hard times with us. Jesus stepped into our brokenness, stepped out of heaven and into our brokenness. Brokenness is actually the very reason he came. Because the world was not as it should be. Because lives were not as they should be. Jesus came. Jesus came for the, for the messy present. right? Not the idealized future or the romanticized past. Jesus came for the right now. And whatever you're carrying and whatever is weighing on you and whatever is pulling your attention away, Jesus came for the messy present, the right now. And into the messy present, Jesus brought life when there was death. 
He turned sorrow into joy. He turned mourning into hope. He gave us a reason to be, to look beyond the present, even though we live in the present, knowing that Jesus brings life. That's the message of Easter, not to escape, but to look in. Jesus entering our sorrows, entering our brokenness. There's a story that's right on the front edge of, of Holy Week that I think demonstrates this so beautifully. It demonstrates Jesus' presence in the middle of brokenness so perfectly. It's John chapter 11. Some of you may, may know this story. Others of you may not. This story, in my mind, becomes sort of the catalyst for much that happens on Palm Sunday and the early part of Holy Week. It becomes the catalyst for Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the crowds all gathering. This story had just happened, and people wanted to see Jesus after this story. This is also the story that ratcheted up the antagonism of Jesus' enemies. Here's the story, John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Bethany is about a mile and a half from Jerusalem by foot. It's a little village. We're told it was the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, this trio of siblings who were somewhat Famous, They were well-known. John knew as he's writing. People are going to know who these, these three are. Luke tells us a story of uh, Jesus being in Mary and Martha's home. And Martha was busy cooking the meal and cleaning up and trying to show hospitality to the crowd that had gathered. And Mary was listening to Jesus. And if you know that story, that created some conflict between Martha and Mary. This is that Martha and Mary. John even says that Mary is the one who poured perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, John doesn't tell that story till the next chapter, but he knows everybody knows these people. They know that story. I'm going to tell it in a minute, but they already know that story. These are fairly famous followers of Jesus. They weren't a part of the 12, but they were disciples. They were people that Jesus taught. They spent one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. Jesus had encouraged them. They were committed followers of Jesus, friends of Jesus, FOJs. That's who these people were. They knew Jesus. They were close to Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. And still, though they were friends and followers, even though they were committed disciples of Jesus, one of them is sick. Lazarus is sick. And he's not a little bit sick. Uh, it's not allergies. It's not the common cold. He doesn't have the flu. He's sick in such a way that the sisters are worried. And so they send a message to Jesus. Now, something we learned right off the bat from, from these three fairly famous Jesus followers is, is that you can be committed to Jesus and still have struggles. Like if anybody's still entertaining that thought that walking with Jesus is the path to all of my dreams coming true and never being sick and never having to face hard time, we can just wipe that off the slate for now because these people are committed to Jesus. 
They love Jesus. They're followers of Jesus, and they're struggling. There's a brokenness in their heart. Even the best of people struggle. Even the most important people struggle. People with titles and people who are well-known Christians struggle. Even the most committed among us struggle. So the sisters send a message to Jesus. We don't know how they get the message to Jesus. Obviously, somebody had to carry it. They didn't know where he was, more than likely. They, they couldn't text him. They couldn't call him. They didn't have GPS. They weren't sharing location. Jesus couldn't drop a pen. Somebody had to go out and keep looking until they found Jesus. And this probably took the better part of a whole day just to find Jesus. Then we read in verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said... This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. A couple things we learned from that, that passage. And one is, and I know this is obvious. Uh, you could come up with this one on your own, but I, but I want to put it out there. We learn that Jesus knew more than anyone else in the story. Again, which is really obvious. Jesus knows more than anyone in any story. But in this particular story, uh, Mary and Martha and probably Lazarus are concerned about how things are going to go. Jesus already knows how things are going to go. Jesus says, and his disciples didn't understand it, Jesus says the sickness will not end in death. It's for God's glory. God's going to get glory out of this. Jesus knew where this story was going. It's easy to accept that in this story. Some of you know how this story ends. You know kind of the twist at the end. And so you're not worried about what's going to happen in this story. You know Jesus has got it under control. Jesus can handle whatever happens in this story. Even if you don't know how the story ends, you're not on pins and needles right now, are you? As much as I'd like to think you are. You're not like edge of your seat. What's going to happen, right? That's not you. You're okay with however this turns out. We, we are really comfortable with stories that are 2,000 years old, aren't we? We're really comfortable thinking, you know, Jesus had it handled. I'm, I'm sure Jesus had it covered Whatever happens, happens. It's 2,000 years old. It doesn't, doesn't really affect my life. We get, we get pretty comfortable and confident with 2,000-year-old stories. And you're confident today, not just because it's a 2,000-year-old story, but it's somebody else's story. It's really easy to believe that Jesus knows more than anybody in the story when it's not your story. You, matter of fact, you probably tell people that sometimes. When they're going through difficult times, Jesus is in control. Jesus has got this. Right? It's really easy to tell somebody else that about somebody else's story. The problem is when it's your story. Because here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just know more than everyone else in somebody else's story. Jesus knows more than everybody else in your story. He knows what he's doing. He knows his intentions for you. He knows how he's going to be glorified. He knows how you're going to see him better and know him better and trust him more fully. He knows more about your story than you know. And one of the reasons you can trust him with that is because we also learn in this passage that the love of Jesus is unchanged by the circumstances that these people are experiencing. The love of Jesus isn't 
changed because their circumstances became difficult. John does, uh, uh, has an interesting way of telling this story. It's almost like he puts three hooks throughout this story to remind us that Jesus loves the people in the story, even though they're hurting, even though they're afraid, even though they're in a difficult spot. John keeps popping up saying, don't forget Jesus loves them. Don't forget Jesus loves them. Don't forget Jesus loves them. We read one in verse 3. This is uh, in the words of Martha. Martha, when she sends a message to Jesus, says, Lord, the one you love is sick. That wasn't just for Jesus. That was for us to know. The one that Jesus loves is six. In verse 5, John, the narrator, adds this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, all three. Jesus loved them. Circumstances are difficult. They're worried. Don't forget that Jesus loved them. Then in verse 36, then the Jews said, the crowd, see how he loved him. This is the consistent message again and again and again in this story. Jesus loves these people. Jesus loves these people. Jesus loves these people. Their circumstances were difficult. They didn't understand. Their hearts were breaking. And John keeps piping up to say, all right, before you read this next part, don't forget he loves them. See, we would be tempted at times to question Jesus' love based on what he did because right after John tells us that he loves them John tells us Jesus waited two days to go to them All right, which I think is the whole reason John told us that Jesus loves them so hey you may not think Jesus loves them but this next part just want you to know he loves them you may not understand what Jesus chooses to do in the next line so I just want you to know he, lo he loves them John is teaching us to view our circumstances through the lens of Jesus' love rather than viewing Jesus' love through the lens of our circumstances. View our circumstances through the lens of Jesus' love. That is assured. That is confident. Rather than continuing to redefine the love of Jesus based on what we're going through, based on our circumstances, because we all have a tendency to do that, don't we? God... If you really loved me, why would you allow this? God, if you really loved me, why are you waiting? God, if you really loved me, why haven't you done something? And John is saying, no. Lead with the fact that Jesus loves you even when you don't understand the circumstances that you find yourself in. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And this next sentence is going to make you question that, but I want you to know he loved them. He loved them. He loved them. It's interesting that all three references to Jesus' love come before the big twist at the end. Because after the big twist, we get it, right? We go, oh, yeah, well, of course he loved them. That was going to happen. No, it's the lead up where we start questioning, isn't it? It's before we see the miracle. It's before we see the resolution. It's before we go, oh, that's what I was supposed to learn. Oh, that's what Jesus was trying to tell me. No, the lead up to that is when we question. And it's in the lead up that John keeps saying, he loves them, he loves them, he 
loves them. He loves, and in the lead up to whatever you're wrestling with, in the lead up to whatever's troubling you, in the lead up to the brokenness that you're experiencing, God is saying, I love you. I love you. I know this next sentence is going to make you question that. I know you're going to get to the next chapter and you're going to have a whole lot of uncertainty. I just want to remind you, I love you. I love you. I love you. The extent of his love is shown in verse 8. He tells the disciples they're going to go back to Judea. They say, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus, that's where people want to kill you. Why would you go back there? Because Jesus goes to the hard places in our lives. Jesus goes to the difficult places. Jesus knew that the plan of God was even bigger than Lazarus was bigger than what was happening in the lives of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But it also demonstrates that Jesus walks the hard roads with us. Jesus goes to the hard places with us. Jesus returns to Bethany. It had been four days, we find out later, that since Lazarus had died, which probably means that <clears throat> Lazarus died... <clears throat> Shortly after Martha sent the message to Jesus. If you think it took a day to find Jesus, and then Jesus continued his ministry for two more days, and then it took a day of travel to get back to Bethany, it was probably very shortly after Martha had sent that message to Jesus that Lazarus had passed away. When Jesus gets back into town, there's a crowd of people there. It was the Jewish custom to... To, uh, to sit shiva is what uh, a Jewish person would call it. In other words, friends and neighbors and family members would gather, gather around and they would just mourn with you for seven days. They would sit with you. They would mourn with you. They would listen to you. They would weep with you and crowds of people apparently have come to this village to be with Mary and Martha. And then Jesus gets close to the village. And both Mary and Martha say the same thing to him. Martha says it in verse 21. Mary says it in verse 32. But they say the same thing, and it's these words. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. <clears throat> and we don't know what their emotion was. John doesn't give us any indication of what they were feeling, what motivated this sentence that they both said to Jesus. We just have the fact that they said it. Some people think they were, they were frustrated that Jesus didn't come sooner. Some people think they were angry that Jesus didn't come sooner. Some people think they were disappointed that Jesus didn't come sooner, and they're saying if you had just come, we called. Why didn't you come? Some people think that they're expressing great faith in Jesus. That they're saying, look, we know if you had been here, you would have done something. We know you have all power. If you had been here, things would have worked out differently. Some people think it's a statement of faith. We don't know. It could have been all of those. It could have been different emotions from Martha and Mary, what this reminds us of, though, is that we can bring all of our emotions to Jesus. I think that's why we don't know what their emotion was. Whatever you would be feeling in this circumstance, you can bring it to Jesus, and he's okay with that. 
If you're frustrated, you can bring it to Jesus. If you're angry, you can bring it to Jesus. If you have greater faith, you can bring it to Jesus. It's okay. We can bring all of our emotions to Jesus honestly, transparently, vulnerably. This is how I'm feeling. We don't know which side of the emotional spectrum Mary and Martha were on, but we do get a glimpse into the emotions of Jesus. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then these words, Jesus wept. He was deeply troubled, and he wept. Jesus wasn't dispassionate when he got to the village. Jesus wasn't standoffish. Jesus wasn't a robot without feelings. Jesus arrives in a situation where people are hurting and Jesus weeps with them. Jesus hurts with them. We sometimes find it difficult to put the theological idea of God's emotions in the right spot. Like some people opt for God is emotionless. God knows everything and therefore he can't have a change of emotion. But there's so many stories like this where we see God, we see Jesus feeling things. We see Jesus relating to the emotion of someone else. Jesus doesn't show up and immediately start giving instructions. Jesus doesn't look at Mary and Martha and say, will you pull yourselves together? Jesus doesn't say, you need to get over it. He doesn't shake them. He weeps with them. He joins in their sorrow. He joins in their brokenness. He meets them at their need and says, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I'm feeling what you're feeling. I know how this hurts. Jesus wept. I think this moment in Jesus' life also reminds us that weeping is the appropriate and sometimes the only appropriate response sometimes. Jesus, I think, is primarily weeping at the, at the present situation of, of the loss and the grief, but Jesus is also aware that this brokenness is the result of sin in the world. Death and, and cruelty and, and, and hopelessness. This is all a result of the broken system of sin in the world that God's going to make right one day, but it's not right today. And sometimes when we see brokenness in the world, the only appropriate response is to weep. Evil should make us weep. Injustice should make us weep. Cruelty should make us weep. War should make us weep. Abuse should make us weep. Greed should make us weep. The brokenness that we encounter in this world should break our hearts for the broken systems of sin that are in the world. And Jesus does that. Jesus just weeps at the situation. He doesn't give a lecture immediately. He doesn't tell everybody to get their emotions together. He enters into their brokenness. 
Jesus doesn't even say, well, you know, one day it's all going to be better. You know, one day it's all going to get fixed. As a matter of fact, Martha brings this up, and Jesus brings the story back to the present. This is their earlier conversation in verse 23. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. One day it's all going to get better. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I'm not real sure Martha knew what she was agreeing to in that moment. When Jesus said, do you believe this? All she knew to do is say, I believe you. I'm not real sure what you're talking about. I believe you. I trust you. I believe you. Sometimes that's all we have. I don't understand everything that's going on. I don't see what you're doing, but I trust you. And notice... Jesus didn't put things off until the end of time. He didn't say, yeah, one day it's going to get better. Jesus said, no, I'm here today to make things better. I'm here in the present to give life where there has been death. I'm here in the present to give hope where you have been hopeless. I'm here to do something today. See, that's the belief that we have is that Jesus is still working today. He's still working in the present. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Again, we see the compassion of Jesus. He steps before the tomb, and he's deeply moved. His, his heart is still going out for the whole situation, and he tells him to move the stone. It's Easter time, so we're, we're conscious of tombs, kind of a cave, sometimes with different sections of it, and people were laid in the tomb, stone was rolled over it, families were often buried together. And Jesus said, I want you to move that. And Martha immediately panics just a little bit, thinking maybe Jesus didn't hear them. But he's been in there four days. It's going to smell bad. In, in Jewish custom, they believed that when someone died, their spirit or their soul kind of hung out in the, in the same area for three days, looking for a chance to kind of slip back in. See if we get a redo here. Can we try this again? And so in Jewish tradition, they thought three days, spirit was still hanging around. And, and so they would go back after three days and see if they had resuscitated, if they had started breathing again. Thinking of, of the cross that Jesus is headed to. You remember when he was on the cross, they made sure he was dead, right? They drove a spear in his side. For, for Jewish tradition, they believed there's three days and maybe something could change. There's three days and maybe we'll be surprised. 
There's three days, and maybe there'll be be a miracle, but at day four, all hope was gone. Day four, they didn't check anymore. They they didn't think maybe we missed something. I mean, if you think 2,000 years ago, there wasn't modern medicine, and so it's not unreasonable to think that there were times we thought somebody was dead, and then they weren't dead. Four days, they... They gave up. It's been four days. Martha's worried, and Jesus says, four days are not too long for me. Four days are not a problem for me. I I don't know what's rolling around in your life, in your heart, in your thinking right now. Maybe there is some area of your life And four days have come and gone. Or four months have come and gone. Or four years have come and gone. And you've sort of slid this situation over to the side like Martha and said, it's been too long. Too much time has passed. Jesus, the life giver, would say, four days is not too long for me. Four months is not too long for me. Four years is not too long for me. Believe the resurrection and the life and Jesus called out the name of Lazarus and he came out life came to dead places light came to dark places hope came to hopeless places this is what we celebrate at Easter not a pause in our schedule not not an escape from reality, not an ancient memory. We celebrate the fact that Easter tells us even in the messy present, life can come to dead places. Hope can come to hopeless places in your life, just as it did in the life of Lazarus. Whatever there is in you, I don't know what that is for you, I don't know what feels like it's gone or what feels like it's hopeless. In Jesus, nothing is hopeless. In Jesus, nothing is too far gone. He is the life giver. He would say to you, I am the resurrection and the life. Trust Jesus. God, I I pray that this Easter We would not look for an escape. We we would not look for a diversion. We would look to Jesus. We all come to this moment today, and, and, and there are global issues that we're all aware of. There's global brokenness that's in our prayers every day. There's evil and cruelty that's moving in parts of the world. We see that. But individually, we also bring to this day and to this moment our own personal hurts, our own personal questions, our own personal doubts. Speak life to us today. Bring life to us today. I pray that we would embrace the hope that is in Jesus We would embrace the good news that Jesus came to enter into hard places 
and speak words of comfort. May we know what John said throughout this chapter. We are loved by him. We are loved by him. Even if we're in a hard chapter right now, we are loved by Jesus. Even if the last movement of our story has been difficult, we are loved by Jesus today. May we believe that. May we trust that. May we evaluate all of our circumstances through the lens of Jesus' love today. I pray it in his name. Amen.